0: In medicine as a whole, you surround yourself 80, 90% of the day with people who speak the same language. And then if you look at research papers and you know peer reviewed journals and things like that, they're made for the professional. So that jargon is all throughout. So you just see it over and over and over again. And now you're supposed to translate that to help either your patient or the family or your clients, regardless of what discipline you're in. Good luck, right? If you're so removed, you can't remember, oh boy, is renal a normal word for the general public? Or should I say kidney?
1: This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. My name is Gordon and you're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health. From the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in the fields. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. This episode's guest is an author, veterinarian, educator, curriculum developer, congressional science policy advisor, public speaker, and the founder and president of One Health Lessons, an organization that inspires both children and adults around the world to value One Health. Her lessons are being translated into 88 languages as of present, and the organization has inspired 10,000 students around the world in the last year alone. In addition, she recently published her critically acclaimed book entitled The Art of Science Communication – Sharing Knowledge with Students, the Public, and Policymakers. She has an incredibly fulfilling career so far and was honored to serve as the Master of Ceremonies of One Health Connect 2021, an event co-organized by yours truly, the Public Health Insight. Please welcome to the Public Health Insight podcast, Dr. Deborah Thompson.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Gordon. I've been really looking forward to this conversation.
1: So over the years, uh, Dr. Thompson, you've gained a lot of experience from your work as a science policy advisor and in your other roles as well uh, on capitol hill and those experiences i'm sure have taught you a lot about the do's and the don'ts of science communication which you have probably implemented into your practice so far uh, so th- that's good for you but i'm just curious to know why you felt it was necessary to take that next step and share those knowledges the, the knowledge that you gained and the lessons learned from your experiences and channel that into your book, The Art of Science Communication, Sharing Knowledge with Students, the Public and Policymakers. Tell us your story.
0: Oh, my story, my career is far from a ladder, it's a jungle gym. So I have taken as many opportunities as I could possibly um, muster. And with each opportunity that came my way, even if it was a complete surprise, I learned a new skill. And in this book, The Art of Science Communication, I was able to summarize in hopefully a concise and meaningful manner to share those lessons learned in order to save time for other uh, science and STEM advocates, either aspiring or professional career folks in STEM. And when I was on Capitol Hill, and I was working as a science policy advisor, first as a fellow and then a legislative assistant, I realized that while I was in most of the science-focused meetings for policy, oftentimes after the meeting's done, my colleague comes to me and says, Deb, can you translate this for me? So there are scientists and engineers who are coming into um, the policy world trying to affect policy, trying to share their knowledge, but they're not sharing it in the right way. It doesn't translate. So either you have to have a translator there, me, or you can learn the skills yourself and apply them on a regular basis. So I was thinking these were lessons learned along the way because of my just really unique opportunities to experience a lot of things and After I'm done with projects, I always write notes. What were the lessons learned from this particular project? And particularly for the policy work, the the notes went on and on and on. And I'm looking at these notes, I'm like, people need to know this. People need to know this. This can't just stay in my diary. (laughs) This needs to be shared with the world. The other thing that I feel helped me in preparation for policy work and using that translation, is I've been teaching students for a while about something as complicated as One Health. One Health can be explained in two different ways. The One Health concept is the interconnection between our health and the health of the environment, animals, and plants. Easy. Sick environment, sick people. Sick animals, sick people, right? It all makes sense. We're all connected. Now the One Health approach is ultimately teamwork. Is teamwork between people of different backgrounds, strengths, disciplines, we come together and we prevent and solve health problems. So when it comes to solving something as complicated like a pandemic, for instance, you can only imagine how many different people of different skill sets and backgrounds need to come together at the same place to efficiently solve such a problem. And that's what the One Health approach is about. And I've been teaching about this for years now for children as young as six years old and uh, adults as well. And from that experience, I learned a lot and I put it in this book, The Art of Science Communication.
1: That's that's amazing, Um, considering a lot of times when, uh, you know, working professionals uh, are doing their work. Uh, we don't often stop and take the time to document lessons learned and it's critically important for you know work in any projects that you're working on because it informs how you go about the next one and uh if you know if you if you leave it as kind of you know tacit knowledge where it's just in your head and it's not uh it can inform your own work or help other people then that's a huge gap that's being left and I'm glad that you put this to work because like you mentioned, it saves people a lot of time from figuring out themselves to implementing what you've methodically documented from your experience. Uh, You've shared a lot of your experiences in your book, you know, lessons learned in terms of what went wrong, how you could have did it better, and what you did for the next time you were in that situation, which I thought was a very practical approach for myself learning to be, uh, you know, Someone who eventually will be engaging policymakers in the future. So this book is I, for those listening, it's an amazing read, very short. I have a low attention span when it comes to book books, and I was able to get through it three times. Uh, so highly encourage you to check it out. And one of the things I wanted to touch back on again with the, the you explained the one health approach and the one health concept. and my understanding from what you mentioned is the one health approach. Is the way in which we recognize the one health concept. So the one health concept, which is interconnection, humans, animals, environment, plants, uh, the one health approach gives us a framework through which how to preserve the one health concept. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Okay. And you in that it. teamwork, in that teamwork, uh, there has to be a lot of science communication. Because you mentioned one health is a very diverse Field or you know macro field, if you will call it something like that, where you have people at the table from all walks of life, all walks of experiences. And in the book, you mentioned the importance of speaking the same language because you, you can talk to veterinarians know how to talk to veterinarians, uh, medical doctors know how to talk to medical doctors, but does a veterinarian know how to talk to an ecologist? Uh, so your book kind of talks about the importance of that. So I wanted to start off by talking about. You know, science communication, something that gets tossed around a lot. But what does it actually mean?
0: Yeah, exactly. What does it actually mean? Um, The way I explain science to children, really young kids, I ask them at the start of the lessons that I teach, raise your hand if you are a curious person. And I have to say about 80% of the time, people in the classroom raise their hands and Then I say awesome. Well, if you're a curious person, you're going to be an excellent scientist. So really what is a scientist, right? How are we going to break it down so that science is tangible? Science is relatable. It's not just about sharing hard science and hard facts, it's putting those facts into a story that can be digested and memorable. It has to be kept simple, and can't be uh, burdened with a lot of numbers, right? You have to have characters, protagonists involved in order to have people start to care and get evoke their, those emotions. Um, so what is science communication? Science communication is simply a way for, um, and you don't even have to be a scientist, uh, sharing your passion with another person in order to inspire them to see it, see the world in a different way. And I honestly compare this to sharing light. If you think of a candle being shared with another candle, sharing knowledge, sharing passion, it's like sharing a way to see the world in a different way with another person. So that's how I see science communication.
1: Right, so being able to present a different perspective other than what the receiver if you will is accustomed to and it's that's something that is very apparent throughout the book So would you then say science communication is that is it more of an art then or is it more of a science I know your book is t- titled art which maybe that's your answer but just wanted to get your thought on that
0: That's an awesome question so it's called the art of science communication right? In medicine, I'll speak, I'll speak to that for a second. So I'm a veterinarian by training and I speak on a regular basis with, of course, other veterinarians, but also physicians, human doctors. And when it comes to the underlying message of all of it, it is based on science, but I tailor the message to meet the needs of the audience. And that in itself is an art. You can't just copy and paste the same words, and the same use of expression with two different types of audiences. Sure, I say veterinarians are kind of like close cousins for human doctors, you know, physicians, or even better, you could say it's like a Canadian speaking with a Brit. You know, different expressions, different idioms, but we all understand each other, right? So... Are you going to say football instead of soccer? You see what I mean? How are you going to tailor your message to the needs of your audience? And that is an art.
1: Awesome. And not all the time the audience is the general public. Sometimes you're complete uh, communicating with people from other disciplines. And I know in the book you talk about how uh, silos, disciplines, specializations, and even sub-specializations in various fields have contributed to miscommunication. So why is this the case?
0: I think it comes down to human nature and how the human brain works. It's so much easier to organize our thoughts when you categorize it in a certain way, um, especially when you're younger and you start to memorize things rather than understand things. It's just easier to put, put memories and ideas into buckets, right? But the world, the planet, does not work like that, right? So like I said before, a sick environment can cause sick people. So does that mean that physicians could, should be speaking with ecologists or the public health um, department in the area to know if there's say leptospirosis um, happening in the forest nearby, or is there an increase of Lyme disease in the area, right? There needs to be um, not only the quantity of improved communication, but it's the quality and make sure that the message is received in a palatable way that's memorable.
1: Awesome, and I think you mentioned too, the longer someone uh, stays in their specific field, the more out of touch uh, they get with and being able to communicate their messages to other fields.
0: Yeah, exactly. And wow, you've done your homework, <laughs> Gordon. Oh, you yeah. remember these these phrases oh, from the book. Awesome, That's from like page 20 or something like
1: yeah, that. Yeah, see, I, I knew you'd be impressed with that. <laughs>
0: I am impressed. Awesome job. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, in, in North America in the great part of greater part of North America, at least you do four years of undergrad, then you do four years of medical school or, you know, veterinary school. And then, um, you know, you could do an internship and then you could do a residency and then you could do a fellowship if you want to subspecialize, uh, particularly in human medicine. Um, but think about all those years. And the way at least you know in medicine as a whole, you surround yourself 80, 90 percent of the day with people who speak the same language. And then if you look at research papers and you know peer-reviewed journals and things like that, they're made for the professionals. So that jargon is all throughout. So you just see it over and over and over again. And now you're supposed to translate that to help either your patient or the family or your clients, regardless of what discipline you're in. Good luck, right? If you're so removed, you can't remember, oh boy, is it renal a normal word for the general public? Or should I say kidney? You know what I mean? what what did i know the day before starting veterinary school or the day before starting medical school i can't remember it's been too long ago and my circle of friends we all speak <laughs> medical jargon for instance so um it's a this book is meant to not only raise awareness of let's say promote self-reflection but it also gives you opportunities to Find certain groups in your community to practice speaking with people outside of your discipline and make sure that your message is received in the way you want it to. So um that comes down to Toastmasters. And I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that or not, but
1: well, I, I was. Um, I actually <laughs> you convinced because I've read the book three times, you convinced me to actually join a chapter. So, my first meetings in a couple days if I don't chicken out of it. So, yeah, you've convinced to me go. to join Toastmasters. Yeah,
0: way to go! Yeah, and you know, the first time you're just a guest anyway; you don't have to mm. speak. It's awesome. just to watch.
1: Yeah, just just come in and watch. Love but yeah, that. I was impressed. Sure. You 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 referenced Toastmasters a lot, and you credit them for uh, your skill development and public speaking, being able to synthesize uh, information on the go. So I was I was curious to see what that experience was like.
0: Yeah. So for the benefit of the audience, Toastmasters, they call it a public speaking club, but in my opinion, it's a communication club. It's not just about public speaking either on the fly or having a prepared speech that's timed and then evaluated like a masterclass style. But it's also how can you actively listen to the amount of ums, so's, you know's, filler words that just detract from a message. So that's important to know about. The other thing is you might have, you listen to an eight minute talk, a prepared talk. Somebody's worked on this for weeks. And then within two minutes, you need to provide some feedback in a public manner that makes the original speaker, the presenter, not only feel comfortable, heard and supported, but also inspire them to want to improve certain aspects of their public speaking skills to make the next talk even stronger. And so that in itself is an art. That in itself can um, be incredibly useful in any career that you are a part of. And especially if in the future you wanna be a manager. How do you bring feedback to a team member or a team as a whole, but do in a way that encourages and inspires action rather than making the rest of the team feel like it's more of an order? You see what I mean? So Toastmasters has taught me a lot and they did not endorse the book. Nobody from Toastmasters knows about the book, even though they probably should. Um, But it's something that certainly has contributed to my life.
1: Well, when I joined, it asked me, how did I find out about it? And I wrote Dr. Thompson's book called The Art and Science Communication. So there you go. Bingo. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.